0: On our last stop, Cruising visited Alibis, one of two lesbian bars in Oklahoma City. We met the owners, married couple Crystal and Tiffany, and learned about their bartender's unconventional approach to customer service.
1: I let them handle it the way they see fit. Like, if there's somebody that's being rude with them, they're allowed to handle that.
0: We also met Lisa an alibis bartender who's been going out in the local queer scene since high school.
2: It was the first time I'd been introduced to a drag show, a drag queen, a drag king. Anybody that was trans at such a young age, you don't normally get that. And that's what The Rec Room was
3: for a lot of us.
0: If you remember, The Rec Room was an after-hours dance club in Oklahoma City. Since they didn't sell liquor, The Rec Room was able to let in teenagers like Lisa and a drag queen we met named Raven Del Rey.
3: It it was just kind of dark, but a lot of fog, but like a lot of lights, really loud music. Kind of what you see portrayed in any gay club movie from like the early 90s. But not maybe as sketchy.
0: We connected with Raven at Frankie's. That's the second Oklahoma City lesbian bar. Raven started doing drag at the rec room nearly 30 years ago, in the 90s.
3: Um, I was 15, and it was during a time where you had to get there early and get in drag there and get out of drag there, or people would bash you, or you could go to jail.
0: Fortunately for Raven, she's always had an incredible support system at home. I always
3: had really good friends, and I always had really good gay friends. And I think it's because, like I said, my family was always so open. So, like, if you were a gay kid, you could come to my house and not be judged. And so I think maybe gay kids flocked to me that way.
0: Even before Raven had gay friends her own age, her parents made efforts to expose her to the queer community.
3: I just remember from the time I was, like, six or seven— there was always people who my family would take me to to, like, cut my hair or just bring me around, other gay people, because I think they kind of knew. And so I grew up around that.
0: As Raven said, her parents just kind of knew their child was queer from a young age. And they nurtured that, especially her dad.
3: We have this thing called the gay lead that's been around forever.
0: The Gailey is an Oklahoma City-based LGBTQ publication that's been around since 1983.
3: And my dad would save them and save them. And then when nobody else was around, he would show them to me. And that was the first time I had ever seen somebody in drag, but I was very confused About my sexuality, so I also was going to, like, a therapist, and did I want a sex change and all of that. So he kind of, like, they kind of helped me through that.
0: In fact, Raven's dad was the one that first encouraged her to go to the rec room.
3: Yeah, so my dad had um, a friend that he worked with who had um, a gay son in the military, and this was back in Don't Ask, Don't Tell, so it was very hush-hush. Um, who was like two years older than me. And so on the weekends, he would come and he would go to the rec room because he still wasn't of age. And I ended up working with him at a video store and told my dad. My dad was like, oh, you all should go to see shows at the rec room on a Saturday night. Good evening welcome to the rec room.
0: It's Ms. Ms. Rec Room Pageant. When Raven first saw the drag queens at the rec room, she finally felt clear in her identity.
3: I was like, oh, I can do that. And I was always like a choir kid, a theater kid, or whatever. So it was like my way to like express myself, but not have to change myself.
0: So Raven continued going to the rec room, and was soon introduced to the show host at the time, a drag queen named Desiree Terrell.
3: And Desiree was really good about helping new queens, And she said, okay, and she gave me a list of stuff that I needed. She said, come next Saturday. You can do late show, two numbers, bring what you have, I'll do the rest, and we'll see how you do.
0: It took a few tries before she landed on the drag name Raven Del Rey.
3: I love the movie Showgirls, so I wanted to be Nomi.
0: You can't
2: touch me, but I can touch you. I'd really love to touch
3: you. And I always loved Marilyn Monroe because I just felt some connection there.
2: Because of a girl spending all of her time worrying about the money she doesn't have, how is she going to have any time for being in love?
3: So I was Nomi Monroe at first. And then they were like, "Mm, that's a little too literal and it doesn't really roll off the tongue. It's a little confusing. So change it. So then I changed it because of Edgar Allan Poe. I changed it to Raven. So it just kind of like kept evolving until I got to Raven Del Rey, and the Del Rey came from um, Torch Song Trilogy.
0: But anyways, Raven, or Nomi Monroe at the time, must have done well at that first performance.
3: Because I was booked on the late show for the next six months every Saturday.
0: At the rec room, there was an early show and a late show. At the early show... The crowd was made up of other underage kids.
3: Of course, they played, you know, all the dance music. They did all like the, oh, those light things that they used to twirl and the necklaces and all of that. And so early, they would do like a nacho special because people's moms and dads felt safe enough to like drop their kids off at nine o'clock. And so the kids would eat and everybody would have nachos and all of that and just hang out. And then the show would start like at 10. And the kids were just so excited, and so instead of the kids giving us money, because they didn't have money, really, they would give us tokens, and those tokens we could keep for the late show to turn into tokens for a soda, or a hot dog, or, you know, whatever, chips or whatever.
0: While Raven enjoyed the free food from the early show, it was more like a warm-up.
3: Then... There was a late show at 2.30, so all of the older people would come from the bars to sober up.
0: And that's when the cash started flowing.
3: It was like 20s and 50s and 5s, and, and we were like, oh my god. And we were like in tattered costumes and probably really bad Halloween wigs and whatever makeup we could figure out together. The energy would be so crazy because... They're drunk. We're not. We're not understanding they're drunk because we haven't started drinking. So we're just loving it. And because they're drunk, they're giving us all this money. So we're leaving with all this money. And so to us, we're superstars. Like, we're rich. (laughs) At 16 years old, sometimes you're going home with like five, six hundred bucks in tips. Like, it was crazy.
0: Raven lived about an hour and a half from the rec room. At first, she relied on rides from friends to commute back and forth. But after just six months of performing at the late show, that was no longer necessary.
3: Because it was so popular and so busy, I made enough money to buy my own car at 16 so that I could, like, come every Saturday and do the show.
0: And Raven still does drag every week to this day. It's been 28 years since that first show at the rec room.
3: Yeah, like I've been in drag since then. Like every week or weekend since then.
0: So I'll leave you with a fun fact about Raven.
3: I hadn't even gone through puberty at that point. So that's 15, 16. I'm getting ready to be 43. I've never had body hair. Still, to this day in my life, because I've never stopped doing drag.
0: This is Cruising, a podcast about the last lesbian bars in the U.S. My name is Sarah Gabrielli, and I'm traveling to each one of them with my two friends and chosen family. This is stop number 13, Frankie's. Tracy Harris signed her first morals clause freshman year of college. So
4: I was a a college athlete, so I also had to sign a Morals Clause to play
0: sports. A Morals Clause is sort of like a contract that prohibits certain behavior in your personal life. At OSU, where Tracy played basketball in the late 70s, this included homosexual behavior.
4: You you couldn't be gay. Uh, Coaches were not dumb. Uh, So basically what they told me uh, was... You cannot wear any of your sports paraphernalia, not not your letter jacket, not nothing that would identify you as being an athlete for that college.
0: But this was pretty common around that time, and Tracy didn't give it much thought. That is, until her junior year. I,
4: I, I remember the whole night vividly. I was playing softball in the summer, just, you know, summerly fun stuff. And it was the last game. And I said, hey, I think, let's all go have a beer. And they're like, we're going. Do you want to go with us? And I'm like, where are you going? They said, Oklahoma City. And I said, where are we going? What can I, What should I wear? They just said, just wear jeans and, you know, whatever.
0: So Tracy got dressed and headed to the bar with her softball teammates.
4: And a bar is a bar is a bar, early. Girls sit around and talk to each other. Boys sit around and talk to each other. Girls dance together. I didn't realize I was in a gay bar. It got late. And then I'm like, oh, like there are girls making out by the bathroom. And there and uh, there was one of the girls that had actually purposely kind of orchestrated that where I would end up at that bar. So it was a it was kind of a realization
0: that that was my comfort place. The next day, she got a call from one of her friends to ask,
4: are you OK? And I'm like, I am. Okay. And they said, well, we're going back today. You want to go? And I'm like, I do. I do want to go back. And the rest here is history. Are. Here we are. Here we are.
0: Today, Tracy and her partner, Anne, own Frankie's, our second Oklahoma City lesbian bar. But it would be many years and a few more careers before Tracy ended up here. After college, she got a job coaching basketball and teaching math. And she found herself faced with yet another morals clause.
4: Being gay was immoral and I could be fired.
0: It was the 1980s. And during her tenure as a teacher, Tracy had to be particularly careful when going out to gay bars.
4: Bars in general in Oklahoma, they were tracking gay people. And you had to actually sign in at the bar. Uh, So that they, if they ever wanted to check to see if you were eligible to vote or eligible for you to work with children. um, The thing that the bars did at that point in time is they didn't check your signature with your ID. So they made you sign in, but you didn't necessarily have to sign your own name.
0: Tracy, of course, used a fake name and along with the rest of the gay community took other precautions as well.
4: So all the bars at that point in time had parking lots behind them because if you parked on the street, they would take your tag or they would bust out all your windows. In
0: 1988, Oklahoma City held its first ever Pride Parade. Which I
4: couldn't go to because there were cameras. I could go to the bar. I could go in the bar and park behind the bar, but I couldn't go where I might be filmed because I would lose my job.
0: Tracy taught at that high school for three years, all the while hiding who she really was. But she still managed to form meaningful bonds with her students.
4: I I found that a lot of kids talk to me about their personal issues. And I'm like, "If if that's the role I'm in, then I need to know more about how to do that.
0: So Tracy went on to get her master's degree in counseling and then got a job as a home-based therapist at Red Rock Behavioral Health.
4: I was a first responder for mental health for Oklahoma. They called me in because Oklahoma got in really bad trouble for warehousing mentally ill children.
0: Oklahoma was intent on protecting children from exposure to gay people through instituting morals clauses and monitoring gay bars. But at the same time... There was immense child neglect and abuse occurring within the state's own Department of Human Services. There isn't a lot of information out there about this part of Oklahoma's history. All I could find was one Wikipedia page on an investigative report called Throwaway Kids.
5: From ABC News, around the world and into your home. The
0: The piece ran on ABC News back in 1981. It covered the warehousing and other forms of abuse that had been happening within Oklahoma's Department of Human Services. While I couldn't actually get access to throwaway kids to watch it, I was able to reach the reporters that investigated the story, Bill Lichtenstein and Karen Burns.
2: I was working at ABC News 2020 as a producer, and our president of ABC News, Rune Arledge, found a tiny little blurb in the New York Times saying that the children in the Oklahoma Department of Health and Human Services were being badly abused, beaten, and in some cases dying. That's basically it was just three lines.
0: So they, they asked me to go down and see what was happening. Karen and Bill ended up moving down to Oklahoma for eight months to work on the story. What they found was the head of DHS, a man named Lloyd Wright, was running an incredibly corrupt system.
5: So there was an enormous amount of money under the control of one person. They had no competitive bidding, they had no civil service requirements. Essentially he had a checkbook and he wrote the checks. and there was very little enforcement that the money would be actually be spent on on the people. It was you know a lot of it was just going into people's pockets.
0: So Wright was allocating as little money as possible towards the children in the DHS system this meant packing them into facilities underqualified staff physical abuse and oftentimes complete starvation
2: it was heartbreaking cuz the kids were incredible just incredible and so badly treated i i just don't even have words for it i you know i'll never forget it and the pictures and, of them so beaten and the kids who were literally starved to death they were actually feeding them uh, liquid insure
0: so they could save money, or they would just cut out their meals altogether. At that point, Oklahoma didn't have any sort of foster care system. So all kinds of children were being filtered into DHS's care.
5: Really, if kids couldn't live at home for any reason, even if they were themselves abused or abandoned, they went to live in one of these old Dickens-style orphanages, uh, these you know kids' homes. Um, and they were essentially warehouses, But through all of this malpractice,
0: DHS was really diligent about following one particular law.
5: The extraordinary thing which really allowed our story to take place was, in the midst of all of this, they required any violations of rules to be uh, carefully recorded on these abuse reports. So we were able to get a hold of thousands and thousands of pages of, of the most horrific kinds of abuses of kids by workers, you know, workers were not qualified to be working with kids, and we reported it, and we were able to bring about tremendous changes in that agency.
0: After Throwaway Kids aired on 2020 in 1981, Oklahoma launched a state investigation into its Department of Human Services. Lloyd Wright was forced into retirement, the warehousing facilities were shut down, and Oklahoma eventually instituted a foster care system which all paved the way for Tracy's position as a home-based therapist at Red Rock Behavioral Health. She was the first person on contract for a pilot program to help reunite these children with their families.
4: My job was to get with these families and help them figure out how to live together, how to live together, how uh, how to work with the parents on how to take care of their mentally ill children. I I went to court. With with families quite a bit, and I just really, I worked with
0: them. Tracy was one of four home-based therapists with Red Rock. It was actually a really high-profile position because a lot of people were really angry that the DHS system had been overhauled.
4: Yeah, they had kids that they didn't want to have to, they didn't want to deal with. We couldn't go anywhere without telling people
0: where we were. So we were actually the first kids on the block to have cell phones. The team got big, boxy 80s cell phones so that they could be reached at all times while on the job. And this was for good reason, because one of the original four therapists was killed by a client.
4: They went to a home to try to work with them and were actually killed, and they found them in the trunk of their car. It was was dangerous and scary and super rewarding all at the same time.
0: It wasn't all that different from being closeted. Tracy always had to be discreet about who she was and what she was doing. But there weren't any morals clauses at Red Rock. Tracy was finally able to be open about her sexuality.
4: Red Rock at that time was a super progressive agency. But I remember I'd worked there for probably less than six months. And my boss came in at the time and said, uh, "You don't, you get to be you here. And don't you have a, a girlfriend or a wife? And don't y'all have kids? And we're having this big company picnic thing and actually approach me
0: about that. So I didn't come out to him. He actually called me out. And it was cool. For the first time, Tracy could go to Pride events and gay bars without worrying about losing her job. Though it's not like that ever stopped her before. Ever since that first outing with her basketball team, Tracy had been frequenting the Oklahoma City gay bars. One of those spots was Partners.
4: Which was Hoppin' Place. It was in the 90s. It it was great. Everybody had a safe place. Women could go dance and and bring all their friends.
0: A woman named Kay Thomas opened Partners as a lesbian bar in 1996. And then bought the bar next door and called it Partners 2.
6: They were the biggest
0: lesbian bars with, like, biggest dance floor and biggest crowd. Partners
6: was always the place to go.
0: That was Anne, Tracy's wife and the other owner of Frankie's. One thing about Partners is that it was very exclusively for women. Here's Tracy again.
4: If you had male friends, it wasn't very comfortable for them. Uh, it started at the door, which is, you know, this is a lesbian bar and who do you know here and it was it was it was a great bar it was but it was very women friendly and not any not very crossover friendly because they wanted a safe space for women i i totally understand that a lot of the men's bars were the same way they wanted a place for men
0: this never really sat well with tracy
4: i have lots of men friends i have gay men friends i have straight friends and i would have to pick where I was going to spend my weekend, based on who I was going to spend it with. So if I I was with lesbians, I had to go to this bar. If I was gay men, I had to go to this bar.
0: If
6: I was with straight friends, I had to go to this bar.
0: Like a lot of queer bars back then, Partners didn't do a lot of advertising.
6: So for me, I didn't know where to go.
0: Anne remembers discovering Partners a few years after it first opened.
6: You know, it wasn't uh, something that was marketed. There wasn't a Facebook page or an Instagram, or you know, couldn't see where this place to go hang out with other women is so it's usually by word of mouth
0: but once she found it and became a big part of the partners community she got to know kay started running the dart league and helped out around the bar wherever she could
6: they needed a dj one night can you go up there and play some music i'm like okay um and then you get stuck in it right and that's that's a Another learn it the hard way, I'm not a professional DJ. I just like music, so it worked out. I'm a DJ dad. I would Dj at I DJ for dance lessons when they were doing dance lessons and I learned to bartend and help them behind the bar. so we were just it, it was a family environment.
0: Anne and Tracy first met through the dart League around two thousand ten, though it would be another few years before they started dating.
6: We both played darts and there's always karaoke after darts and we played those in the same leagues, so that's, we met there. Um, we've known each other for a while, just in that same dart circle. The first time I saw her, she was singing karaoke
4: next door uh, when it was still the women's bar. And we had always been chatty and friendly, uh, but never single at the same time. And uh, it corresponded in, what's was it, like 2014, that we were single at the same time.
0: Anne and Tracy have slightly different accounts of how exactly they first got together. According to Anne, it started at Pride six years ago.
6: Honestly, I said, how do I get on your list to date? That's not the coolest story, but that's really what happened.
4: Oh, yeah, I knew she would go there. It, it It's not a list. Uh, it's just at the time, what I called it was play dating. I'm between relationships.
6: I don't want to be in one. She was known as someone who um, play dated. She was kind of the ego player type. That's why I said, How do I get on the list?
4: Well, actually, she said, I have something I want to ask you. And I was like, Okay. And then I didn't think about it again until time passed and i'm like oh it must be a bigger deal than uh what did you have for lunch and i uh finally said what what is this question you have to ask me and uh she said how do i get on the list how do i get a play date and i said "Uh, for you you
0: just have to ask
6: and i was the last one on her list (laughs) the last one to make the list
0: Around that same time, Anne and Tracy started to notice. Kay's business was drastically slowing. In its heyday, weekends at Partners were packed to capacity with 100 people or so. Now, on its busiest nights, there'd be around 30 patrons. And on weeknights, there was more like 10.
6: We could see that the bar was declining. We were two of the five to ten people that uh, frequented the bar where did they go? You know, cause it used to be those two lesbian bars side by side were packed every weekend. And then like, where'd they go?
0: So around four years ago, Anne and Tracy got a life changing phone call from Kay. I had
4: just retired and Kay called me and, and said, you remember when you said, if I ever sold the bar to call you and I'm like, yeah, 10 years ago, I, I remember that. But, uh, She said, yeah. She said, I'm just, I'm tired. I want to sell one of them. And I said, which one? And we talked about it. And then uh, I bought this bar in 2017.
0: At this point, Tracy had actually retired twice. First as chief operating officer at Red Rock. Then she came out of retirement to run an assisted living facility.
4: And I did that for nine more years. And then I retired again. And then that's
6: when Kate called me.
0: As much as Tracy enjoyed her retirement of golfing and lounging around... Her and Ann couldn't pass up on the offer.
6: We have been in that community and in that bar for years, the both of us. And I, she was just, she was older and she's had those bars for, like I said, decades. So she was tired and we could see that she was tired. And like we do not want it, she said she was just going to close. And I'm like, no, no, us no, not so close. You know, so it was kind of a, we helped her and she, um, uh, well, kind of helped
0: us. So Tracy and Ann took over Partners Two. As a side note, Partners One is still running next door. It's now a gay male-centric bar called Faces. But anyway, Tracy and Ann bought out Kay in 2017 and renamed their bar Frankie's.
4: I always thought it'd be fun to have a bar, and I always knew that I wanted the name of it to be Frankie's. And I did. I I couldn't tell you why. And so I, my mother's still alive. She's 91, going to be 92 in December. So I broke it to her gently that her highly educated daughter was going to be a bar owner. So I broke it to her super gently. And she finally said, well, so what's it? When I finally told her that I'd bought it, uh, she says, well, what's the name of it? And I said, Frankie's. And she said, oh, you named it after both sides of your family. And I said, I did. Uh, but her maiden name is Frank Franklin. And they called her dad Frank. And my dad's side of the family, he has a twin, had a twin sister. And her name was Frances, and they called her Frankie. So I don't know if my brain knew that, and I just wasn't conscious of it. But yeah, so I just always knew that was going to be the name of it.
0: So, Aside from the name, the bar hasn't changed too much since Ann and Tracy took over. The interior looks pretty much the same as it always has. It's a big open room with a long bar along the left wall, the DJ booth against the right, and a wooden dance floor in the middle. When we visited, they were set up to host the darts league the following two nights. There were four dart machines against the back wall, a fifth off to the right, and a couple of long tables were pushed together in the middle of the room.
4: For Friday and Saturday, all those tables that are on the dance floor stage will come to the back, and it'll become a show bar. And then across the...
0: There we hang curtains and that becomes the dressing room. So we do a complete conversion twice a week. About two years ago, Tracy built a gorgeous multi-leveled patio in the space out back. She did it mostly herself, with the occasional help from a friend or two.
4: I, I think I spent a couple of weeks on it, and uh, we still have our Christmas lights up because I like them. So if you if you want to come in and not sit with a whole bunch of people, you can sit in small pods. Uh, but also if we have an event out here, that uh, it, it will see uh, quite a few people.
0: But the biggest difference between Partners and modern-day Frankie's is that Frankie's is all-inclusive. While it's run by queer women and has a history of catering to lesbians, Anne and Tracy welcome everyone.
4: We just wanted a place where all my friends could go at the same time, which has worked out really well for us.
6: So we created an environment where we have trans couples We have trans performers, we have gay men in our family, we have drag queens, we have drag kings, we have queer things, Uh, we have theys and thems, and everyone's there. It's a very diverse family.
0: And that has made all the difference in building up their business.
6: We
4: already had those friends who were super supportive, and then we branded it as such is that you are welcome here you are welcome here no matter how queer you are or in what way or you're just an ally and like on opening day we probably had 15 or 20 people come in and help us paint and rebrand of all walks so we had some trans men we had some trans women we had a bunch of lesbians we had some gay men they all came in and helped us just get open and then the we 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 started out pretty successful for a brand new bar because we already had those friends and then they told their friends. And there's a whole group of people that have a wide variety of friends. So I think it made a world of difference to let all those people congregate in the same place.
0: But despite knowing how to build community, Tracy and Ann didn't actually know how to run a bar. They had to learn a lot of things the hard way.
6: Just something as simple as like their credit card processing. And the fees that you pay on that. Uh but like our business grew so fast and so much, there wasn't a lot of comparison. Like I couldn't say, okay, how much inventory did you keep in the bar? Because our business it's quadrupled and and it doubled every year almost. So uh and we had to learn how to how to keep up with the the volume of people in and out and what they drink and what do they like.
0: But luckily, an experienced restaurant person soon stepped in to help get them on their feet. My name is Holly. Uh,
1: all my friends here call me Hollywood. My pronouns are she and her. And I've been here since they opened. I was actually one of the first bartenders here. Holly
0: stopped by to check out Frankie's shortly after they opened. That's when she first met Ann and Tracy. We had an instant connection, and I started talking to them about
1: owning a bar, and they were like, we have no clue. And I've had a lot of previous experience in the bar and restaurant community, and I was like, oh, (laughs) you need help. (laughs) (laughs) You need help. And so I was like, so here's what I'll do. I'll come work for you for a year. At the time, I had a... I still do. I have a career. I was still going to school. And I was like, I will do a year with you to get you up to speed.
0: And that's exactly what Holly did.
1: When you build a bar business and you've never been in it, there's a lot that you need to learn. It's beyond cost. It's beyond inventory. It's the day-to-day stuff. Like, how do I run inventory. What does that really look like? Like, what is cost perspective? What is, you know, how do I advertise, all that? And um, so I was like, I'll do a year with you. And I I did a year. And then I cut
0: them off. Holly usually goes to Frankie's with her partner, Smokey. And we met both of them the night we visited.
2: Um, I'm Teresa Steed. Uh, they all call me Smokey. They've called me Smokey since I was... 21 years old. There's a story behind it. What's the story? See? (laughs) You gotta know the stories.
0: It's not just that Smokey Chain smokes in and outside of the bar, not to mention before, during, and after our interview.
2: I smoke heavily when I drink, and I like to talk with my hands. One night,
0: Smokey was sharing a hotel room with her hairdresser, who is also one of her best friends.
2: And I'm talking with my hands, doing what I do, just talking, being drunk. And I accidentally burnt her arm with my cigarette that was in my hand. And she said, Smokey Strikes Again. (laughs) And I was like, mother And just from then on, it just kind of, like, just, everybody started calling me Smokey. I walked into the bar next door with a cigarette in my hand, and I'm talking. I burnt a girl's hair, and I was like, oh, my God. She didn't see it. I felt so bad. I randomly burned people's arms, hands, faces. And it's just I burnt myself. They don't really refer to me as like, I burn people but they're just like, they all know me from Smokey. S- as Smokey. <laughs> my kids know me as Smokey. My mother knows <laughs> me as Smokey. Yeah. Because my friend does my mom's hair. And my kids have been raised in the community. Um, all my friends were their moms. And they always refer to me as Smoky. And they're just like, oh, it's Smokey.
0: When Holly started working at Frankie's, Smokey was always around visiting her.
2: And when she started Tuesday nights, I was all over Basically, social media, Facebook, taking take, you know, like not even TikToks.
1: It was Instagram.
2: Instagram, point. but like loop videos. I'd be like, "Babe, grab a bottle," and she'd be mm-hmm. just shaking it in the air, and I'd take a little loop of her, and I always called it the prayer chain. <laughs> I'd holler at the plate. The prayer chain to come out and be like, Holly's working the bar. Come out. She's going to make y'all drink real good. And it'd be my closest friends. It would be people that I knew that would want to come out because Holly was working. And that built up.
1: It helped build their clientele. It
0: did. It helped build their clientele. Today, Tuesday has grown into family night. Where the performers and staff, and most devoted regulars, come in for a night off.
4: They can just wear their boy clothes and have cocktails. But there's drag queens in there. There's drag kings in there. There's just a little bit of everybody. And
5: they're sitting family style, you know. Oh they're yeah, we do. It's family
4: night. Yeah. It's it is it it is it is one of the funnest nights because I'm not having to attend to performances or tip or we're just chilling. Yeah. It's yeah, I love Tuesday nights.
0: And it just so happened that the night we were in town was, you guessed it, a Tuesday. When we first walked in, the bar kind of felt like a funky bingo hall. And I mean that in the best of ways. A clan of 20 or so regulars and staff sat around the long tables set up for Dart League. A lot of them were smoking because, if you remember from last episode, smoking is still allowed inside in Oklahoma. It was kind of intimidating to intrude on something as sacred as Family Night. But Tracy introduced us to everyone, and we were welcomed into the group with surprising enthusiasm. A drag queen named Chloe Diamond offered us a funky drink recommendation.
2: Rachel, Sarah. Yes. Next drink you should try is a PBR
0: coffee.
2: What? With a shot of espresso vodka and caramel drizzle on
0: top. Yes. Yes. I'm suspicious of that. It it tastes like a Jamocha shake from Arby's. And about half of the group got up to play darts with us. I'm very bad. It's It's okay. We don't care. It's fine. All night long, everyone kept telling us we had to interview Raven Del Rey. Raven seemed quiet and reserved. She didn't jump up to meet us like some of the other folks. And everyone was talking her up so much, I was honestly nervous to approach her more nervous than I had been the whole trip. But she stepped outside with me, and it was soon clear. She was just as warm and kind-hearted as everyone else we'd met that night. For one thing, Raven loves her community at Frankie so much, she gets pretty emotional talking about it.
3: Sorry, I didn't mean to get emotional. Um,
0: it's okay. I mean, is this ha- this is happy emotion. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> As we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Raven's been doing drag for the past 28 years. She's performed all over the city.
3: 13. I am your Prairie State Entertainer of the Year, Raven Del Rey.
0: <laughs> but a few years ago, Raven was feeling disillusioned with drag. She wasn't sure if she wanted to keep doing it.
3: Of course, you always have younger people coming up, and things change. And I'm kind of a drag 101 type of old school girl. And they were wanting me to keep up with Top 40 Music. And and that's just not what I do. And so there were moments where I felt disrespected or I didn't see eye to eye with certain bar owners. But then
0: she started performing at Frankie's.
3: So um, I had a friend who asked me to come and work a show with him. He said, um, it's a comedy show. It's a lot of fun. Just come do it. And then after you do your comedy number, you can just kind of do what you want. And so that's what I did. And the next week, the owners called me and said, hey, we know who you are. You've been around forever. We've always loved you. Um, Come here and do a show. And do the show that you've always wanted to do.
0: Today, Raven performs almost exclusively at Frankie's. It's different there. The environment is warmer, more supportive. It's a home.
3: Like I said, I've worked in a lot of bars. Not even in just this town, but a lot of other towns. And, you know, you always kind of walk in, and if it's people you don't know, you're like, Hey, babe, how are you? Hey, honey, how are you? Or whatever. But here... I can say, Hey, Holly, how are you? Hey, Tracy, how are you? Hey, you know, whoever, how are you? Like, I know their names. They're invested in who I am outside of that. And, like, Okay, we're going to have a cookout. Everybody's invited. doesn't matter who you are. You're invited. We're... Going to go see a movie. Everybody's invited. It's it's just so different that it's almost like you don't believe it's real. You know, we always say, as gay people, we make our own family. And yes, I have done that through my life, but I didn't expect at this point, at 43... To have a whole other family. And we still disagree and we still argue. um, But the intention is different. The intention is, I disagree with you, we're upset, but you have a flat tire tomorrow. How quick can I get to you?
0: The crowd was different at Frankie's, too. They were easier to connect with.
3: And not only with just the owners, but... um, when we have a show here, it could be a busy night, it can be a slower night, depending on what else is going on in the community. But when you come here and do a show, whether it's 500 people or five people, they make you feel like they appreciate everything you're doing.
0: And and Tracy have worked hard to foster this environment at Frankie's. Compared to other drag bars, it might have helped to have a woman's touch.
3: A big part of it, I think, is because and I can only speak for myself, but as a drag queen, I do have a lot more um, sensitive emotions, a lot more female mannerisms at times. So um, I find a lot of times, especially growing up, women are a little easier to talk to because they're willing to talk it out. Where society, I think, has taught men to steer away from emotions and... Sorry you're mad, let me apologize, let's move on. That doesn't really fix it.
0: It's funny, because Raven had always been warned by other drag queens. Don't take gigs at lesbian bars.
3: because they only tip a quarter for beers and they don't tip drag queens because they can't be pretty and they can't do this and they get very iffy when it comes to you being overly feminine because they're all just so butch. I've known it wasn't the truth. So then when I got here and I was treated like exceptionally well, I was like, okay, I'm right. It's not the truth. I think that's maybe why I'm so emotional about it because I mean, after 20... Some years, I've worked here for four years, and this is the happiest I've been in drag. This is where I finally like fit. This is where I can perform. This is where I'm appreciated. So I'm just like very grateful for it. And I'm just so emotional because if it wouldn't have been for friends of friends of friends that brought me here, I probably would not still be doing drag.
0: Cruising is reported and produced by Rachel Karp, Jen McGinnity, and me, Sarah Gabrielli. Our theme song is by Joey Freeman, and our club music was produced by Stephen Morton. If you like cruising, want to support us, and get access to more content, then join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cruisingpod. You can also find us at cruisingpod.com or on social media at cruisingpod. Special thanks this week to Tracy, Anne, Smokey, Holly, and Raven. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts.